Welcome to another episode of Not So Gentle Reminder. I am Dr. Christina, a board-certified emergency medicine doc. I'm Dr. Vicki, a board-certified neonatal intensivist. We are friends and pediatricians who survived our training to become skilled but salty physicians. And we are excited to share with you our evidence-based take on important pediatric topics. Today's episode is a medical episode about sun safety and sunscreen, and we will be talking with our favorite pediatric dermatologist, Dr. Katherine Gupta-Warner. She's the best, and she is such the best that this became a longer discussion. So we've split it into two parts for you, each part chock full of sun safety and sunscreen myth busting. So without further ado, here's part one of our discussion with her. We are covering a couple of things with this episode. It's almost like a combination episode where there will be some of the medicine behind sun protection, but some of the practical things and recommendations from our favorite pediatric dermatologist, Dr. Katherine Gupta-Warner. Yes. She is board certified both in dermatology as well as pediatric dermatology and completed her pediatric derm fellowship at nationally renowned UCSD Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. She's the most qualified. She is the most qualified. Pediatric and dermatology. You guys, getting an appointment with her would be impossible. So we did the impossible for you. You're welcome. Dr. Warner is a partner in a very busy dermatology practice in Atlanta. And because she is such a superstar, she was voted one of Atlanta's top doctors in 2022. Woohoo! So we are very lucky to have her guide us in this crazy world of sunscreen. This crazy world, my favorite world of sunscreen. So children and sunscreen, I have a very clear awareness of how much I need myself because I tend to become a piece of very salty bacon, high fat content, very burnable. Children too, right? They're delicious most of the time, most children. We still try to avoid cooking them as much as possible. But sunscreen is sticky. It is smelly. It has all sorts of numbers and recently all sorts of pluses. So it's really like it's, they're trying to get you to do math just by looking at the bottle. But it's necessary to prevent the melanoma that can metastasize silently and kill you horribly and go to your brain and go to your gut. And we see that happening in a lot of adults. And we think about sun protection as really starting in childhood, but it is onerous and annoying. And also children who are burnt to crisper also onerous and annoying to care for. So I guess besides my personal interest in remaining a vampire and not becoming that crispy, fattening piece of salty bacon, why do we care about sun protection in children? Does it really affect where things go in terms of that melanoma risk or otherwise? No, it's a very good question. And honestly, the like mainstream response would be that Studies have shown that one blistering sunburn in a child's life doubles your risk of melanoma lifetime, that any five sunburns in general also doubles that risk. And interestingly, trying to research that for this podcast, I would say that the research is not as solid or excessive as you would think, which was really interesting. I do think that the research is very strong for non-melanoma skin cancer. So for the ones that we don't care as much about, but still can be problematic in your life, it's still probably good to protect from them the what we call non-melanoma skin cancers, which are the basal cell skin cancers and the squamous cell skin cancers. There is very much a direct relationship to sun exposure. We see those most commonly on the face where you get the most sun exposure through your life. But 
as far as melanoma risk goes, clearly you can get melanoma on the bottom of your foot or on your penis or other places that are clearly not sun exposed. I mean, genetics also plays a big role. No judgment on the nudist beach. Let's just put that out there. I was just going to say some penises live freer than others. There's all sorts of countries that were, you know, we're US based, we're a very Puritan based society, but in other parts of the world, people live much more free. Very free. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would not be on that beach myself. There is no amount of clothing that I would not put on in the summertime, but. I want to return a little bit to what you said, because that classic phrasing of is burned into my mind, too. So that blistering sunburn, those five lifetime sunburns, and then like you're done, you might as well give up. You just you know get yourself to a dermatologist and get your skin cancer risk assessed. So you're saying that that is a very common phrase, but not necessarily true, or just that it is likely true, but the research is less robust than we believe it to be? That's a very good question. Looking back, there are a lot of retrospective studies, but clearly there are problems with that. You can't make direct links. The biggest prospective study that it seems like a lot of this phrasing is coming from was the nursing study that has been done at Harvard. It actually continues as far as I can tell. It was started in the 70s and they prospectively followed this very large cohort of nurses throughout their life with questionnaires and looking at their cancer risks, as well as various other things. And a lot of this came from that. But of course, most of them are upper or upper middle class. They're majority white. And so my question walking away from honestly doing a literature search about this was how much does it come back to that just being skin type? Because so for lifetime melanoma risk, it's about 2.5% for a white person or a Caucasian, 0.6% for Hispanic and 0.1% for a black individual. And interestingly, Sunscreen use in studies has not been shown to decrease the risk in darker skin patients of melanoma at all. Wow. Let's just pause for a second. And I might need you to say that one more time because it encapsulates two things. One is sunscreen is not the best thing since sliced bread for everybody. And two is that we finally did a study where we looked at racial differences in this, right? Which has been missing. It's interesting on social media. You know, I think a lot of the darker skin community is trying to really push this idea of sun protection and darker skin types. And from what I have been reading, a lot of that is because we don't have robust evidence. And that, to your point, I think is really lacking. But for sure, the smaller studies have been done, have not shown any true benefit of sunscreen in darker skin types. And so overall, I would say the harm is definitely low. And so why not just add the protection? But in kids, like you're saying, it's not as easy as that. And especially when you're going to be at the beach all day, is one application of sunscreen really going to make a big difference? I think it does become a little more convoluted than people realize. We jumped straight to the big bad talking cancer risk. Yes. And while cancer is very important, one of the other big reasons why we care about sun protection is later photo aging and having radiation exposure over a period of time. If you want to remain smooth like a baby's bottom, the idea of using sunscreen is quite beneficial. And there is good data behind that from cosmetic dermatology showing that sunscreen will help you remain younger looking for a longer period of time. But that also works to a point. Everyone's going to get old. We don't want to acknowledge it. There are certainly tools that are more or less invasive that can help with the aging process. It appears that the Kardashians are not getting old. They're getting tighter but they may not yeah, be getting lots older. Lots of filler. They yeah. great dermatologists. They look well-rested. I'm excited for them. Oh, yeah. I, I feel good about it. Yeah. 
I would love to know who their dermatologist is. And I think the dermatologists play a much bigger role in their life than plastic surgery, which is kind of opposite of what people would think, I think. You heard it here first. I feel like we're myth-busting left and right. Dr. Christina, I interrupted you talking to us about photoaging because I have so much to say on this delightful subject. I just want to acknowledge the fact that while we are saying you maybe don't have to be putting your sunscreen on quite as much to prevent your melanoma risk, I do think there are still benefits of sunscreen that we are now discovering. It also concurrently is happening when more and more people are caring about remaining young looking forever despite the aging process. So this is one thing that if you want to set your children up for a good future, not just with habit building, but also preventing them from getting overall damage in the 18 years that you might be responsible for them, this is an easy first step. Correct? Yeah. And the things I would add are obviously nobody would wish like a true physical burn from something that's hot or from a fire on somebody, we know that that causes a lot of free radical and other damages to the skin. So taking that point forward, a sunburn is a type of thermal injury to the skin and, you know, it is very painful. It does last for prolonged periods of time. And so in the way that we wouldn't want our child to get an ear infection, I think we can all extend that to, you know, we wouldn't want to put them through a painful sunburn. And as much as we are all downplaying the non-melanoma skin cancers. They too can spread in other parts of the body. They can cause a lot of local problems. Like I absolutely on a regular basis have patients debilitating disease that I have to send for radiation or systemic immunotherapy that comes with lots of side effects. So as much as I think I agree the morbidity and mortality from these is not the same as melanoma, they are nothing. And the morbidity cosmetically can be quite brutal, right? Because a lot of them happen in places that you don't sun protect, so near the eyes or on the hair part, so not even places yes, where absolutely. even if they're small and you can scoop them out with a knife, that's still not something that most people want to undergo. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just to clarify, when we talk about morbidity and mortality, mortality is a little bit obvious. It's the risk of ultimately culminating with death related to the particular illness that we're talking about. Morbidity is some of the symptoms and some of the consequences from treating those symptoms that we are folding in when we're talking about that concept. Moving on a little bit to some of the concepts behind sunscreen that make it very confusing. Can you tell us about what's the deal with UVA? What's the deal with yes, UVB? Why do they matter? And are there secretly UVCs and Ds and Es? Like, have we just begun the alphabet and we just don't know? No, it just it just gets so confusing. There is an A, B, and a C, and then we progress into the visible spectrum. Before going into sunscreen, a lot of what we're talking about is food for thought and. We hear a lot of things in the news, and I really want to emphasize that these are just things to think about. And clearly, there is a lot of evidence that sunscreen is very useful and important in many ways. And I still use sunscreen. I recommend sunscreen. But it is interesting to actually think through where some of these things are coming from that we're hearing. And so I just want to yeah, quickly point out, this is food for thought and not necessarily meant to make you feel like, oh, great, I don't need to wear sunscreen. This is not helpful in my life at all. But going back to the A, Bs, and Cs of UV, it is very confusing. UVC is all the way past B at the lower end of the spectrum. Then we have UVB, which spans wavelengths of 290 to 320. And that is important because they're smaller wavelengths. And so UVB is only penetrating to the top layer of skin. But UVB is very powerful. And so it's getting basically caught up in the epidermis and causing these thermal burns. 
And so as you then progress up in numbers, the wavelengths are getting longer. And so we then go into the UVA spectrum. And so UVA spans from about 320 to 400, and it's broken up into one and two, and that's not important. But these are longer wavelengths. And so they're going to penetrate deeper in the skin, like to the second layer of skin called the dermis. That is where, as Christina alluded to, a lot of this idea of photo damage and photo aging. But even more interesting is actually that 95% of the rays that are in the atmosphere are actually UVA. So even though UVB is a more powerful ray and causing more visible damage, there's so much more UVA and UVA is also penetrating through windows and cars. And so you actually end up in a lifetime just getting so much UVA that it ends up actually being very important for skin cancer as well. And that's, we kind of realized over time. And so then after the 400, that's where we go into the visible spectrum. That's where we get our rainbows and our colors and all these beautiful things like that isn't necessarily considered to be an important part of photo damage or photo protection, but it actually does play a role. And we know with certain photo disorders, light can cause different allergies or responses in the skin that actually even up into the visible spectrum, you do get a response. The way that we're thinking about this and the way that that then translates into what ingredients there are in sunscreen is just changing. When they're using language, at least the advertising language of sunscreen, when you see something, say, broad spectrum, this is the spectrum that they're talking about. They're talking about the... Yes, that would be including UVB and UVA. That's correct. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really important. But the number actually is only talking about UVB. Oh, twist. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's such a twist. So that is only going to give you idea of your burn risk, which is why the FDA has now mandated that 30 and above both cover for some part of the UVA spectrum, but also be labeled broad spectrum because the number is actually not giving you any indication of your UVA protection. That actually makes me deeply concerned about the type of sunscreen that I'm wearing every yeah. day. <laughs> so this is not where I saw this podcast going. I was expecting you to tell me I've been doing everything perfectly and right. the sins of my scanner, the sins of my parents and my genetics, not my sunscreen application. And this right. is a disheartening bit of knowledge. Other really fun tidbit I think is what would you guess the absorption of UV rays or UVB, I should say, what would you guess would be the difference between 30 and 50 in a percent? Like how much more protective is 50 than 30? I mean, math suggests almost, almost double. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But it sounds like it's going to be some logarithmic nonsense. 1%. What? 1%. Yeah. It is. You're absolutely right. It is not a direct correlation between the number and your actual protection. And so I will say that 50 typically in human studies, it is thicker. They have shown that it does stay on longer. And so it probably does give you protection in that sense. But in terms of actually how much, if you put the same amount of a 30 and a 50 on each arm, the actual absorption or protection from the UVB rays is very, very minimally different. Wow. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what it is that these numbers and these sunscreens are describing. We talked about broad spectrum. We talked a little bit about the number, which we should probably delve into more. And then the other thing I want to ask about in sunscreen is these designations of pluses and this premise of chemical versus physical. So maybe let's take that yes. a little bit at a time. We talked about broad spectrum. Let's talk about the numbers. I was always taught and what I understood it to be is that if you go with a higher number, the protection you're getting may not be that much better, but you because people slather on so little sunscreen, 
if you put in something with a higher number, you're more likely to get it kind of averages out to the lower number if you had put it on correctly. But maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. No, and that, that has been shown to be true in a lot of senses. So to get that protection, they're having to have more of these ingredients. And so you're probably getting more onto the skin and it usually is in a thicker formulation. And so it doesn't wash off or come off with sweat as easily. And so it would, to your point, in human studies has shown to average out to be somewhat more effective, but it's not a hundred is not three times as effective as 30. You know, I haven't necessarily seen this pan out in the real world, but the FDA did mandate a few years ago that you weren't supposed to be allowed to put anything higher than 50 as a number on the actual sunscreen. So then that's where the plus come in, that it's 50 plus. Because really 100 is not that much more protective, even though you're a lot of times paying a lot more money for it. It's a very sexier number for me. It's, it's a sexier three number digits. for sure. I have a shelf full of hundreds and 75s and yeah. they are current. I replenish my sunscreen. So I, oof, this is... Yeah. No, this I is a twist. I know that the FDA had said that. This is full of just like knowledge bombs that are exploding. Oh, I'm so glad. What is the number supposed to be? Can you use that number for me in a sentence when you say 50? Is it 50% of the UVB rays that are trying to eat you are blocked? Is it, how do you use that number in a sentence? I could quickly pull up the logarithmic formulation that they use. Please don't. But yes, it really is a convoluted log of like the amount of absorption of these rays that translate into burning over a certain period of time. Okay. Okay. I also have a very interesting vision in my mind of how this is actually studied, sort of that you have a human arm that's being slathered like mayonnaise on a piece of bread, and then they're just waiting for something to happen under a UV light. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's the picture that I have in my mind. That's how they do mosquito repellent studies. They stick them in a box and they let them go for it. So why wouldn't they do that for sunscreen? Yeah. I hope they're paying those people a lot of money. Not enough. Obviously, a lot of this has been in vitro, so in a test tube. And that's why it honestly took a long time to kind of piece out like what is the actual human protection that we're getting. Because yes, in a test tube, these things do absorb more rays. But to Vicky's point, nobody's using these correctly. Nobody's reapplying them in the right way. And so- and people are sweaty. People are sweaty. Yes. I sit here sweating off my sunscreen. People are sweaty. Yeah. There's a lot of other variables in human use that basically can't be studied in a lab. Yeah. And I can see why there would be difficulties distinguishing between different melanated skin as well. When you're just yeah. looking at a test tube, the test tube is going to have a hard time capturing that. Absolutely. Okay, so we've done the number. The number is misleading. That's the best way that I can describe this number. I had hope. Now I have less hope, right. which is pretty much my normal state. So I think that's fine that sunscreen has disappointed me, as has everything except for kittens and babies. Fair, fair enough, universe. Yes, I know that song from the 90s, that sunscreen is like the one thing that you should take away. It's like it really feels like, oh my gosh, even that part mm. of the message was wrong. Even that part of the message was nuanced. We can say that for people who have more bandwidth than me yeah, emotionally yeah, yeah. to process these kinds of losses. Yes, more nuanced. All right. So you talked about the number. We talked about uh, broad spectrum. Can you tell me a little bit about chemical versus physical? Because that is all it's over my Instagram. And people have opinions about this. And the opinions are strong. Very yeah. strong opinions. Yep. In a basic sense, there are only two mineral sunscreens. They are zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. If you see any other long word that you can't pronounce, avobenzone, octrylene, salicylates, benzophenone, 
those are all chemical. So unless it says zinc or titanium, you know everything else is going to be chemical. They work in slightly different ways. Zinc is what's in diaper paste. That was the first sunscreen that people would just put on their cheeks, you know, and all it does is it reflects light. It sits on your skin and it reflects light. They have become more and more usable over time as they've micronized these little particles so that they can theoretically rub into your skin. The nice thing about them is to a certain degree, they both in and of themselves are broad spectrum. But obviously, if you actually look at the back of a sunscreen, it'll give you all these percentages. The higher the percent, the more absorption you're going to get. But there's nuances to all these things. Nobody has ever debated the safety of the mineral sunscreens. Again, that's why we put them in the diaper area of babies because they just sit on the skin. They're not absorbed. They don't cause any problems. And I will say for kids that have sensitive skin or for anybody that you do have a concern for a possible reaction to anything in this country or for kids that have a lot of stinging, the minerals are always my recommendation. They don't burn as much. There are no allergic reactions that have been reported with them, which absolutely is the case in the chemical sunscreens. And so if you have any concerns about sunscreen or you want to put something on your baby, I always say the mineral ones. Yes, and we can come back to babies. But as for the chemical sunscreens, those are all the really long convoluted names. What they do is they actually are absorbed into your top layer of skin and chemically change the light. So they are absorbing the light and then scattering it in a chemical reaction. This is why, unlike the reflection, you really do need to put the chemical ones on 15 to 20 minutes before. And so when you're reapplying at the beach and you're like, oh my God, my kid's already showing some redness. I'm going to put this spray or chemical sunscreen on again. They're going to be getting 15 to 20 more minutes of burning because it really, it takes time for that reaction to be able to manifest. So that's a really good thing to think of. If you are lathering your kid right before you go out to the pool, try to do it and then get all your stuff together and then go to the pool. So it actually has time to physically start working. When you see the strong opinions online, they all come from the chemical sunscreen umbrella. There's two main things that you'll see people getting really upset about. The first is... Are they causing a change in my hormones? And there's two studies that have fed into that. The first one is that this study in rats where they literally fed the rats sunscreen and the rats were eating like 70 times more than what we would be putting on our skin. Um, yes, there were changes in estrogen and other changes in hormones, but they were eating it. Does anybody think that that actually translates to topical human use? No, no dermatologist actually thinks that that. In the small few human studies that they've done, there's never been any support for that, that there really is enough absorption to truly change your hormones. But the other concern that people have is, could we be killing the coral reefs, which none of us want to do? We're already killing this planet. Oh my gosh, is my protecting my skin adding to the destruction of the ocean? I would say you driving a car is adding to the destruction of the ocean yes, more than the your ocean. sunscreen. Yes. And Unless it's a hybrid, then you're doing it less or, you know. Right. Um, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I do not bike. That I think is probably the best version of things, but I do walk on my little tootsies a lot and take public yes, yeah. So in this area alone, I'm doing well. In every other area, my consumption is also killing the planet. But back to the coral reefs, are we killing them all? Yes, don't kill back the coral, to the coral reefs. reefs. I love the yes. reefs. So I know. And so there was enough concern that Hawaii actually outlawed all chemical sunscreens, which I did think was a little bit much because some of these ideas really only surround certain ones of the chemical sunscreens. There are quote unquote reef safe chemical sunscreens as well. But in a test tube at high amounts, yes, sunscreen can be 
impactful on the coral reef. But are there enough people swimming in the ocean to get to that level? But the other thing is, especially when you hear about bleaching of the coral reef, there is a very, very large scientific body that actually believes it's from increasing water temperatures that are causing the bleaching of the coral reefs and not sunscreen. A lot of that makes sense to me. Obviously, we're seeing increased sunscreen use with increasing global temperatures in the last 40 years. So to tease out exactly which one is causing more of an impact, I think is really hard. If you want to make sure that you are not causing any damage to the coral reef, it is very easy to now find sunscreens online that are labeled as coral safe. And so they don't have these specific chemical sunscreens that could possibly be damaging the coral reef, but it really, again, is not as clear cut as us knowing for certain that it truly is the sunscreens that are damaging the coral reefs. Do you know which specific chemicals they're calling out as being coral unsafe? Avobenzone and oxybenzone. If you look at the, the reef safe ones, they can still have other chemical ones. That's why I was saying that I did think that was an interesting move in Hawaii. This is so hard to keep up with. I feel like I try to take a look at this literature once in a while when it makes a splash on my Instagram where I find my scientific data, you know? It just seems like it's so rapidly evolving and the studies are impossible to do. And who's motivated to do them? I don't know. Whoever's feeding the rats 70 times their body weight in sunscreen should not be doing that. That's a weird study. (laughs) I understand about worst case scenarios. That's my favorite kind of thing to think about, but I still wouldn't do that study and spend the time and torture the rats that way. That's like a horrible study. And then put it out into the human world where we're supposed to digest this and then decide like, oh my gosh, am I changing the hormones in my growing, developing child. Yes, it just becomes very confusing. The FDA made that a little worse because there's so many things over the counter that have never been FDA studied. And obviously people say that aspirin might not be approved if it went through FDA approval nowadays. The FDA did a study where they did purely look at absorption of sunscreens. And so there were a number that surpassed that threshold. And that didn't mean that they were actually dangerous in any way. It just kind of was a signal of the FDA that, okay, maybe we should look at these and just make sure that at these concentrations and these usages that were not actually causing any damage. But obviously that was all over the news a couple years ago that the FDA flagged these as needing more research and just a very confusing headline. Like, what does this mean? It's also a difficult thing to study because if the goal for the chemical sunscreen is to cause that chemical reaction in the top layers of the skin, how are you then actually going to be evaluating systemic penetration and overall systemic effects? Maybe there is some systemic penetration, but it does a whole lot of nothing. I I mean, I think it's a very difficult thing to study in humans to begin with and to translate anything. Nobody's going to volunteer for that study. Nobody's going to volunteer for this. Nobody's going to volunteer for this. And humans that are living in the world who are using or being exposed to plastics and all the other environmental things that were happening at the same time as the sunscreen. You'd have to really be in a lab dungeon just eating your weight in sunscreen to to try to learn this. I really think that taking your kid to McDonald's every week is probably more impactful. but Unless it works for you. Unless it works for you. Unless 100%. I am all about, oh, I take my, my kid went to McDonald's this week. I say this, but I'm only trying to use it as a comparison of what we see in the news all the time yeah. and what we're thinking yeah. about. We're trying to gauge risk. There's probably other things that we do that in the long term and overall are probably riskier than this sunscreen debate that we're having. I would like to point out that your child, in fact, is a regular at the Waffle House close to your house. She is. Yep. And she eats, we, she keeps asking me right now, 
is this healthy? She asked me today, is oh, a donut wow. healthy, mommy? And I was like, no, Shaylee, a donut is not healthy. And she's like, a little healthy? I'm like, not healthy at all. And she's like, but yogurt <laughs> is a little healthy. And I'm like, I, I'm so glad that we're like making these distinctions. This is great. Yeah. So Waffle House, not healthy, but she goes all the time and it's a wonderful family excursion. I'm learning so much from the internet about the discourse of labeling foods healthy or not healthy and like applying a morality to them that I grew up with strong morality application to all sorts of things. So foods are like obviously that. And it's so interesting to see the kind of language we're supposed to be applying to these things. It's neither healthy nor not healthy. You just can't eat donuts all day long as your exclusive source of food, which is what I would prefer to do. And I'm bitterly disappointed that that has not been recommended yet by anybody. Yes. That's probably better language than me teaching her purely unhealthy. But yes. No, I just, I think that's where the culture is, right? The culture right now is so obsessed with this moment of health and exercise, wellness, and clean. Clean kills me. I don't understand what clean is. The language is interesting. We are going to take a pause right here, so stay tuned for the second part of this discussion with Dr. Warner. Shall we recap? Let's do it. Let's sum up this episode about sun safety and sunscreen with a few not-so-gentle reminders and practical tips. The first reminder is that sun protection matters for two reasons. One is it reduces the risk of cancer, both melanoma and non-melanoma kind of cancers, and it reduces photoaging. The second not-so-gentle reminder is that the broad spectrum that we're talking about when we talk about sunscreen is UVA and UVB. The most important thing to remember is that UVB has that deeper penetration and the potential for damage is higher, so make sure your sunscreen label includes the verbiage broad spectrum to make sure you're getting the best coverage for your child. Your sunscreen label, however, and this is our next reminder, does not need to say that it is SPF a million. SPF coverage above 50 really has a negligible increase in protection. And because of that, the FDA has said that we do not need to label things above 50 with numbers anymore. So if your sunscreen like mine has that, check the expiration date. Our next not-so-gentle reminder is that mineral sunscreen, also known as barrier sunscreen, the only two ingredients that matter are zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. Most importantly, they are effective immediately. They just rest on the surface of the skin. There's minimal absorption. It's very safe for sensitive skin, babies, and others who might have that stingy allergic reaction to different types of sunscreen. Safe for you and me. The last not so gentle reminder is that chemical sunscreen, in contrast, has lots of other ingredients. It requires a chemical reaction to happen, so it takes time to start working, about 15 to 20 minutes at a minimum. So plan your application accordingly. Thank you so much for listening. We would love it if you subscribed and left us a five-star review. We do want this to be helpful to you, so we are very eager for your feedback, and you can find us a number of different ways. You can email us at notsogentlereminder at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs and tell us what you think about chemical sunscreens and numbers above 50. You can call us at 917-426-6908. You could tell us what products you'd like to review, any questions you have, uh, anything that you want us to cover, and any ways that we can make this better for you. Please see our show notes for links and our website, notsogentlereminder.com, for episode transcripts. Our next episode will complete our discussion with Dr. Warner about sunscreen and sun protection, so please stay tuned for that. And here comes our disclaimer. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. This podcast does not represent the opinions of our employers.
It is purely for education and entertainment. Every child and every family is unique. If you are experiencing a medical emergency, please call 911. If you have specific questions about the care of your child, please be in touch with their doctor.